Good morning, too, and welcome all of those online as well. I know this morning I'm especially excited. Bryn had, or I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Beth had texted me and told me that Andrew and Comfort are joining our group there in Nigeria for the live time this morning, and they have a very special guest with them. They have Comfort's mother, who I understand only speaks Keith, speaks very little English, so Nsu. And if you want anything more than that, we need to get Michael up here. Because <laughs> all the other words I know in Teev, I have really, really made bad. They, they, I say them poorly. But welcome. We are so excited to have you guys. Welcome to all of those in Nigeria. Welcome to all of those that join us from Pakistan, from India, from Kenya. Welcome. From Ghana. Welcome. You are welcome to this place. And I wanted to mention, too, I wanted to mention that, because I know some people are, are joining us or will join us on Facebook, we have the entire service is on our website live. It goes live at 10.30 a.m. on Sundays. And our website is ignition633.org. I want to invite you to that. that. That is a much more full example of what God is doing and wants to do in hearts. And I say that because if you missed Shannon's prayer, you missed something very important, very special. And it is, it is our heart's cry, right? The Lord loves our heart. When we cry out from our heart, He listens to our heart. There is nothing, by the way, more important than prayer and crying out from our hearts. There is nothing more important in unified prayer. And so I want to encourage you, you could join us at uh, 10.30 live on the website to see everything as well as worship and everything else. But let's pray before we get started here this morning. Father, we worship you and we praise you. I thank you, Lord, for who you are. I thank you that you have loved us, your creation, so much so that before time, you knew the cost of giving us choice and free will. And even knowing that cost, that it would cost your Son, you still created us. You still gave us free will. You still gave us choice. And it was for the sole purpose of what was stolen from you in the garden. That intimacy. Those walks in the afternoon with Adam and Eve. The purity of relationship from a creation that adores you, that lifts up everything to you. So Father, we come before you unified this morning to offer everything that we are, everything that we have in this relationship to you. 
as Shannon cried out in her prayer, we want you. We want that intimacy that this earth once had with you that was stolen by the enemy, that was given out of free will. But Lord, you also devised this plan and this method to take it back. That's what you have called us to do in unity. And that is what we boldly step forward in, in your will. So Father, I give you everything about me this morning, as I do every day. But Father, I understand the weight of speaking your word, of being placed in a position of letting you speak through me. I understand the weight of that. And in this prayer, I want to declare to you, I put no parameters on it. Except that it not be anything of me, but only you. We trust you. We worship you and we praise you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We talk about this often, but we find ourselves in very interesting times. As I've said before, I think if you look beneath the surface, if you understand what's really going on, I think you'll agree with me the times in which we are in are the most exciting times in history. This is literally what Jesus died on the cross for. Do you understand His dying on the cross was not just to save you from fire. His dying on the cross was not just to bring this eternity to you but it was to bring His kingdom to this earth. That's what He said. That's what He said. He said, My kingdom has now come to this earth. (laughs) That was 2,000 years ago. And we see very little signs of it. We see moments of it. We see revivals where we see moments of it. We see it in people. But in Mass, we have not seen it yet. Not because God has not ordained it. Not because He has not willed it. But because His will must come in agreement with His children. Because He will never force us to choose Him. He will never force us to do anything that we wouldn't want to do. Because that's not love. That's not His joy. If He wanted that, He could have just made His angels who were obedient love Him and receive fellowship from Him. But Hebrews tells us that's not what they were created for. The angels were created for obedience. But mankind, man and women were made, were created for fellowship. So what I mean as far as this being the most exciting time is I believe we live in a time where His kingdom is going to manifest. 
Not that it's not here. It is here. But it will manifest here. I believe in which the, the time in which we live. That's why I said it's the most exciting time. But yet, there is a cost to that. And the cost is huge. The cost is huge to the bride. The cost is huge to us individually. The cost is huge because it costs us everything that we want to hold on to ourselves. It all has to be His. You know, Bren this morning sent me, or really sent, sent to the court team this word that was given by Veronica West. And I want to read it to you. It was just put out this morning. Veronica is, is a prophet out of uh, Ireland, which I find interesting. I love it because right in that area where she's from is where my name comes from. I think that's kind of cool. Never been there. Would love to go there. The Dale of the Tweed River. It's kind of cool. But the Lord has said to us, that she is ignition. I won't begin to explain what that means. But I can tell you that the, the words that the Lord gives her are immediate in line with what He gives us. And I want to read it to you. You're going to see what I mean by this. A word for the nations. No stone will be left unturned God is now in divine demolition mode. A time of uprooting and tearing down of demonic strongholds in order to build and plant. I see what is coming will be supernaturally explosive in nature and will make a loud noise and cause great upheaval and chaos. I'm going to guess that first paragraph is already past tense because it's been happening for a while. Except that we know it will continue and get worse. Continuing on. The Lord spoke clearly to me just a few days ago concerning the nations. Quote, I will leave no stone unturned, end quote. God is now lifting the carpet and fully exposing the, the every, every hidden, exposing every hidden thing. And he is starting with his father's house. A lifting of the carpet and a turning of the tables. No longer will his father's house be a den of thieves, but a house of prayer. When the carpet is lifted, the cracks in the foundation will be fully revealed. A divine cleansing and purification is taking place over the nations. I believe the spotlight of His glory is now fully exposing what has been hidden and hidden, what has been hiding and hidden in darkness. No one will be able to hide from the light of His fiery glory. A glory that will purge and purify. The spirits of truth and justice will deal with the spirits of perversion and corruption. The days of Elijah are here. God is taking back the nations to its future. God is now taking nations back to its original foundations so He can begin to restore, rebuild, and reform. But let us keep in mind that we have now entered into a time of divine demolition mode. 
a time of uprooting and tearing down of demonic strongholds in order to build and plant. I see what is coming will be supernaturally explosive in nature, and I will make a loud noise and cause great upheaval and chaos. I just heard the Spirit say, Watch as I put the word great back into the nations of Britain. As I heard those words, strangely I saw what looked like a pair of badly treated and unpolished black shoes. And I saw two hands in a cloth come down upon those badly treated and unpolished black shoes and began to clean and polish them up again. And I watched as those black shoes were totally revived and transformed. And then I heard the Spirit say, Watch as my hands go to work upon this nation to revive, reform, and transform. For this nation shall no longer walk in the shoes of shame, fear, and control. But this nation shall walk once again in the shoes of truth, righteousness, and peace taking the power of good news to the nations of the earth. The Lord has spoken to us. This is the readying of the bride. This is the purification. We have all heard that, that judgment, justice, comes first to His bride, comes first to the church. Those things that are exposed, those deep, hidden things that are exposed, are for the purpose of rebuilding. For the purpose of resetting a foundation whose heart is after God. That's what He's doing in this nation. We've talked about it for so long. We've seen signs of it for so long. We, we clearly see the upheaval. I mean, you cannot turn your TV on, on the news, and not have a day go by that something new is coming about. And you know what's interesting is there, there are a lot of things there that we're familiar with, surface pieces of, but yet we don't understand even the full breadth of what's going on. I, I watched this thing. Um, Tucker Carlson did a piece on, on uh, was it MS-13? Is that what it's called? MS? Yeah, the gang. Yeah. MS, right? I, I knew it was 13. I, I, th I was thinking MS. But anyways, he did a piece on them, which is very interesting. But what I pulled out of it, to me, just screamed what was just said. Because, first of all, they, they are an enormous, enormous. Uh, it's not just some little local gang down the road. They are a global gang. And... But the heart in which they are is Satan worship. You understand that? That blew me away. I had heard that there were pieces of this, but to recognize that, that they have specific gods that they call gods that they will go to before they contract a kill or, or do the things that they do. And then you see how they carry that out. And it shows you the depravity of the enemy. It shows you the depravity of things that are deep-rooted in society. And so many of us that 
may not live in an area where that is. If you're, if you're not, uh, I think they're very heavy up in, in Long Island. If you're not in an area where you're heavily affected by it, you just kind of think that's something on TV. But understand that that depravity that pushes them, that depravity that they worship is in one form or another in the hearts of those who do not worship God. That's what's being exposed. And church, I want to encourage you not to be afraid of those things. Don't be afraid of the depravity that you see. That's the entire reason that they do it, is for fear. Don't be afraid, because he that is in you is stronger than he that is in the world. We don't have to be afraid of that. In fact, we have to stand up against it. We have to stand up with our voices and be united together about what is right in this country, what is right in this world. Because if we don't, the cost would be beyond what you could imagine. Beyond what you could imagine. But the victory, the victory that He has coming for us as we unite together as His bride in His power is extraordinary. As I was before Him this morning asking, what do you want? Where do you want to take us this morning? He laid on my heart this thought because we've talked about the cost, right? We've talked about the cost of moving forward, the, the cost of, of His righteousness, the cost of relationship with Him, the cost of running that race. Last week we even talked about the agony of breakthrough. That even at that moment where you're about to have this breakthrough, that cost can sometimes be the heaviest. And he laid on my heart this morning as I was speaking with him this idea of the cost of giving up. What does that look like? The cost of getting to a point where you can't go on any longer in your flesh. Now that comes a choice, and we know that. That's where you could choose to go on in Him. Or you can choose to quit because of your weakness. What happens if we choose to quit? What happens with all the things that God wants to do. And I'm talking about the bride as a whole. I'm talking about ignition. I'm talking about the tip of the spear. But I'm also talking about you individually. You, If you aren't already, you will be or have been faced with that line in the sand to choose to keep moving forward or to quit. Or to take a break? Or to pull back? What does it look like when that happens? That's what I was talking to him about this morning and he took me to a very obvious place. I would imagine if I took a raise of hands, half of you were already 
probably thinking about it, but I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 13. We know the story of the children of Israel here. We know they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. We know that that slave mentality was heavy on them because of what happened over the next weeks and months after coming out of Egypt. But we know the miracles, right? God raised up Moses, raised up Aaron, and led them out of Egypt to freedom. And led them with so many signs and wonders. Now, imagine this. I mean, when Jesus had signs and wonders, everybody around him got to see it. Doesn't mean they all believed. We know that. Right? But it wasn't hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. They estimated there were well over a million Jews that came out of Egypt. And every one of them saw these miracles. Every one of them saw the ten miracles that got them out of Egypt in the first place. Every one of them saw the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke that led them day and night. Every one of them saw the parting of the Red Sea. Every one of them saw the destruction of the army that was chasing them. They see these miracles. They see the evidence of the God that they have supposedly worshipped for 400 years. Or in this case, just their entire lives. They knew God by tradition. They knew Him by upbringing. They knew Him because that's just what you do. And in that was their testing. They saw all these miracles. And yet when it came to the point of them receiving their inheritance, they were plagued with fear. They were plagued with a choice. Much of the bride finds themselves at that very point right now. I want you to again turn Numbers chapter 13. We're going to start at verse, uh, we'll do verse 25 because up, up to this point they've finally come to the Jordan and it's time to send the spies in and up to this point the spies have already gone in. They've already viewed all the land that is the promised land, the land that's been given to Israel. And they come back and they give this report. And there were 12 spies in total, one from each of the tribes. Verse 25, we'll, we'll begin there, says this. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told, them, they told him, we, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. <laughs> okay. 
if they were going to give a bad word, I would, I would think they wouldn't bring the fruit back. You know, it's like, here, it's so awesome. It's exactly like God told us. It's so great. Yeah, we can't go. I, does that, that doesn't resonate with me. I don't know about you guys. Verse 28. However, oh, one of the saddest words in the Word of God. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. By the way, what their fear was coming from was a spiritual issue. Okay? Yes, a physical issue. But understand what they quantified it as when they said, by the way, we saw the sons of Anak there. And then they go to describe who they were. If you really want to understand the, the full picture of what Israel was looking at, you have to understand Genesis 6. And what happened when the sons of God, the principalities, the fallen angels came, slept with the daughters of Eve, with human women, had this offspring called Nephilim. And it wasn't just the immediate Nephilim, but it was the bloodline after them, the offspring after them. See, they sat in fear of them. Why? Because they were giants? No. And I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole right now because it, it wasn't that they were giants. I mean, they were big. That didn't seem to bother David any. It wasn't like they were 500 feet tall big. Right? So it wasn't about them being big. It was about their power in the spirit. Don't be fooled by the enemy's power in the spirit. He has power. He has power honestly given to him by mankind. It was first opened up when he was given it, given the title deed to the earth by Adam. And then systematically he has grown his power. They have grown their power. Their power is always Always facilitated through fear. And that's how it got in here. It got in here, just like MS-13. How they propel their power is through fear. It's not just that they kill. It's how they kill. That's a big statement. Because, see, when we think of somebody dying... That may, that may grip our, our heart and, you know, whatever reaction we may have to that. But when we hear of a little kid mutilated and cut up and dismembered, that causes a different reaction, doesn't it? In some, it may cause anger. It may cause fury. In others especially those where they have this gang live near them, it may impose fear. That's the entire point. That was the point of what was living in the land at that time. Do you, do you find it a coincidence that the very bloodlines of the Nephilim 
dwelled throughout that land that was the promised land specifically for Israel? Do you, do you think that's coincidence? It's not coincidence at all. Because, see, God had already promised it to them. Satan wants to take away everything that God gives to the best of his ability. He does that in your own life. He comes against you in your own life to try to take away the very promises that God gives you. Even in intimacy with Him, we fight this idea of fear. We fight this idea of, of, am I hearing Him right? Of even understanding God's character, of what we would deserve. Oh man, Satan does a good job with that one. I always tell people, the most important part of relationship with Him is understanding how much He loves you. Understanding how beautiful you are to Him. I mean, so much so that He died for you. And if it was just you, He would have died. He didn't die for the volume. You know, well, there, there's... Okay, we're up to a... We're up to 10 billion in history now. I guess it's time to die for them. That's not what Jesus did. His choice would have been the same for one. Because that's how important fellowship is to God. That's how important relationship is to Him. But they were afraid. Fear struck them. That was the open door. Verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone out to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. In other words, they had a lens of just complete humanity. Nothing of God. They saw their foe through a lens of what only they could do in their own strength. Boy, how often do we fight that? Do we face that in our own lives? We come to a hurdle in our lives. We come to a problem at work or, or a problem in our marriage or, a, or, or perhaps a, a problem with neighbors or, or good night, just open your eyes. How about a problem in your nation? <laughs> Multiple problems, many problems, so many problems. And you look at it and you think, I, I can't do this. I, I can't do this. You know, it's kind of like those people that, that said, if such and such happens, I will move to Canada. Right? Now, I am asking, I am praying that no Christians say that about this country as it falls apart. Because it is. And it will. It will continue to. Don't leave. 
I mean, not that you would anyways, not that you could anyways. Because most people that say those things have houses everywhere anyways. So good, go. Hey, leave us your house that's here, though. Believe in what God is doing here. Believe in what He's going to do in this nation. I stand in agreement with the word that Veronica said that that literally God is uprooting things so that a new foundation can be laid. If anybody in here is familiar with farming, you know that you have to cultivate the ground before you plant. They go and they take those big cultivators. Or or if you're in Nigeria, they go and they, they have the coolest shovels there, by the way. I don't know why we don't have these shovels. They, they have it, it. It looks like an axe, but it's a shovel. I mean, awesome. Please, somebody make one here. You, you'll make a ton of money. But they cultivate the ground. They turn it up. Turn it up. They take about the top six to eight inches and they break it apart. They break it up. That's what's happening in this country. In some of your lives, that's what's happening to you right now. God is cultivating your life. He is cultivating your spirit. Not for the purpose of destruction. Not to break you down. But to prepare for life. To prepare for new. Because then right after cultivation, what happens? The planting. Right? The planting. These seeds that are planted, that are planted underneath this cultivated ground and you don't see them. You don't, I, I know around here, I love, I love after they have planted for corn season. I love it. There are so many cornfields around our house and a lot less now. <laughs> but so many around our house and, and, and I love once they've cultivated and planted, then it's only a short time. I don't even know how long, but I, I'm going to say a week and a half, or whatever it is. It, it's a short time before you see this little green thing start to pop up. You wouldn't even know it's there. You would probably think it's a weed, except that in a field you see literally hundreds of thousands and thousands of them. And then they just start to come up. And, and the thing that's awesome about corn is it grows so fast at the beginning. And you see it every time I drive by. Oh, a few more inches, a few more inches, a few more inches. Pretty soon, it's, it's just up high. That's what God wants to do in your life. That's what He wants to do in all of our lives. He's cultivating the ground to make it ready for seed. To make it ready to grow. That's what He's doing for this nation. See, in all the times past in this nation, that there has been a movement trying to change the foundation of the nation, it was never able to happen. Call it because of a deep state. Whatever you want to call it, I call it because of Satan's grip on this nation. That's the truth of it. His grip was so deep, so hard, that the cultivation had to happen. That's what happened for the last four years. God put somebody in there that didn't care what people thought of him. And honestly, it doesn't matter what you think of him. 
because God used him and will still use him as a disruptor, as a cultivator, as one who roots out what is unholy, not by his own strength. I don't even think that's he realizes what is happening through him because God is doing it. And don't think because you see somebody else presumably in control that God is not doing it anymore. This is the very bringing up of the junk in that top layer of earth that needs to be unearthed to bring life to it. To bring life, sin has to be exposed. Just, in your, just like in your own life, in my life. If there is a deep-seated sin, it has to be exposed through this process of cultivating. And that's what God does. And, and what, what's tough, and this is where most, most Christians miss it, is when they start to hit this cultivation process, and they're thinking, and sadly, many are taught in their church that, that that's not God's process that, oh, wait wait a second, I must be doing something wrong. Because literally, I choose to serve God, I choose Him, and now everything in my life is upheaval. Everything in my life is chaotic. Everything in my life is just going the opposite way that I thought it would or that God told me that it would. I must be doing something wrong. Let me pull back. And you stop the cultivation machine. Don't. Don't. That's where you press in. That's where you dig into His Word. That's where you learn the character of who He is because that's what you could count on. Your strength is not going to get you through any trial. It just won't. It won't, certainly won't get you through the cultivation. It has to be your relationship that you have begun with the Lord. Trusting in His character, knowing who He is, what He has called you to, what He is doing in your life. Because when we go through this stuff that many are going through now, and certainly this nation, this world, is going through now. And, and I'm going to say something really tough here. Don't ask God to stop it. Don't. That's mistake number one. Don't ask him to stop what's being revealed. Don't ask him to stop what is going on in this country. Because he is in control. Satan is nowhere near this. It may feel like he is, but he's not. Satan has no control over this. If it were up to Satan, Satan would have left this all hidden. Like he has for decades. No, pray that God finish His process. In, in fact, you know what? If you want to pray, then pray for God to lower the cultivating blades a little bit deeper. To churn up even more soil. To make it ready for foundation. You know, as a builder, one thing you learn one of the first things I learned in building homes was how to put in a foundation 
You don't just dig a little bit of dirt out and throw down some concrete. You know, you, here, here especially, and it, it varies where you go, but you have to take it down to a solid place. In this case, below what's called a frost line, which expands and contracts as it gets cold, because obviously it gets cold here. In other places, you have to maybe take it down below a top surface layer down to a hardened layer. In some places, you take it down to a layer until you hit rock. Because the foundation must be built on something that's firm. When your foundation is right, everything else that you build has that potential of being right. doesn't mean you can't make mistakes as you build. But when you start right, everything has that potential of being right. If you start wrong, nothing has the potential of being right. So what God is doing now in this nation, don't let time be your enemy. Don't let frustration be your enemy of Lord. Just please hurry up. Show it. Reveal it. Let his cultivation process have its full course because it all needs to be uprooted. Whatever you're going through in your life right now, and we all are in this place many times through our lives. If he is cultivating something, if he is preparing to put in a solid foundation in your life, don't stop him. Press into him. Don't give in to fear. Just like the children of Israel did here, they gave in to fear. They literally listened to the bad report of the ten instead of the good report of the two. And I, I, won't, I won't keep reading here, but but I want you to recognize what happened. Basically, the children of Israel said, okay, no, we will not go. We will listen to the report of the ten. And, and so God comes and reveals himself at the tent of meeting. And he, he's upset. He's just a tad upset. He tells Moses, you know what? It's time to start all over again. Why don't you come a little closer? I'm going to get rid of them. And, and I love Moses. You know, Moses is probably thinking in, in, in his mind, he's thinking, oh, seriously, we just went through a lot. I don't want to start all over again. You know, Lord, please, no, for your own name's sake. Those who, who saw you, take them out of Egypt. If, if, if you do that, they're just going to see that you're an angry God. And I, lo- I love it in there. The Lord, the Lord said, because of Moses' request, he held it back from them. I'm not going to pry into what that means, but I think that's pretty cool. But what did happen? He then proclaimed, they will never see. You know, he proclaimed, I think, I think it was all, all those, all the, the fighting men over 20 and that, that literally they were going to wander until the last one died. And then the, the people were distraught. Please understand, this isn't that they don't believe in God. Okay, they knew God spoke that. 
they knew that God spoke that to Moses and they, they were distraught and said, no, 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 wait, wait, we're, we're sorry, we're sorry. We'll take up our arms and we'll go fight. And Moses is like, don't do it. Don't do it. You already made your choice. And they did it. And they went down and they got the snot beat out of them. Say, come in, good. And then they wandered for 40 years until the last of them died that was of age. But then, after all that time of saying no, God brought redemption and gave another chance. Okay, such a stark reality of saying no and saying yes. Because when the nation of Israel said no, then all was lost. Now, the interesting thing is, and I won't get into it this morning, but understand that God spent the next 40 years not just beating them up, not just saying you guys are worthless, hurry up and die so we could get in the promised land. No, he could have killed them immediately like he first suggested. He spent 40 years still offering them hope still offering them love. Not offering them the promise because they had already forsaken that, but offering them Him. He never pulled Himself away from them. He offered everything to them. And time after time after time, they rejected Him. But what a stark difference 40 years later. When Caleb and Joshua, when when the, all had died and finally Moses had died and Joshua was, was said to replace him and he would lead them into the promised land. What a stark difference 40 years later. I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 1. I'm just going to read this. Verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over the Jordan, you and all his people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given, past tense, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness... And this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man. Remember all those ites that were in there 40 years earlier? They're still there. In fact, they're probably grown. They're probably more. Right? He said, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And he goes on and he just continues to say, Be strong and courageous. See, he didn't say, Okay, now you guys are finally ready. You've said yes. You're going to go into the land. I'm going to take care of it all up front, get rid of them. When you go in there, you're not even going to see them. You're not even going to see them. He didn't say that. No, he was telling them to be strong and courageous for a reason. 
It was because 40 years earlier, not being strong and courageous by the other 10 spies is what cost everything. As God was trying to cultivate up Israel and prepare them for a new foundation, they gave in to fear. They gave in to what they could see versus what God said. So all he's telling them is, is just be strong and courageous. No matter where I take you, no matter what I do, here's my promise to you, but you must step. And then as you go through the conquering of the land, it's, it's such an amazing study. Such an amazing study. God didn't just lay it all out ahead of time. He laid out the next step. And then they hit a bump in the road after Jericho, right? At Ai. And then he reveals why and gives the next step. See, that's building relationship. That's no different in your own life. As you move, move forward in the steps that God gives you, He doesn't lay it out all ahead of time. Kind of like, well, here's my plan for your life. I got it signed on the bottom. You sign there. It's yours. Good luck. See you in heaven. He doesn't do that. No. He says, here's the plan for your life. And there's one little sentence up top. And then he signed it at the bottom. Here you go. When you do that, I'll fill in the next sentence. Each time Satan comes in to try to derail each time he comes in with fear. Each time he comes in with, with other things. It's, it's not just fear, although fear opens the door so many times. He might come in with temptation of problems. He might come in with, with familiar problems that we had had that were never really taken care of. He comes in with different things to try to derail that process. That's what God was warning Joshua against. To be strong and courageous. No matter what you do, you don't give up. No matter what. No matter if I tell you to do some of the craziest things, kind of like you know, marching around a city and letting me take care of the walls. <laughs> right? What he's promising him is we're about to encounter a life of miracles like you have seen coming out of Egypt but you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to trust me. There's a new generation of Israel now, and you're leading them, Joshua. You've got to trust me. You've got to be strong. You've got to be courageous. I want to tell you, that's what he's saying to the remnant right now. This remnant bride that has a relationship with him that is so pressed into him, and wanting him, he's saying, be strong and courageous. Know the next step that I have told you, because when you walk in it, when you step in it and move through it, you're going to begin to see the change. You're going to begin to see those seeds sprout. Because he's already planted them in your life. He's going to do the same thing with this country. Right? He's already exposing the soil. It's going to be exposed to the fresh air. 
to the air that kills the microbes that are in there that can only grow in the dark, wet soil. He's exposing it so it can be killed. And trust me, he will kill it. It will not just be an exposure to realize that, okay, now we have to live in it. He's going to kill it. If you trust him in your own life with what you're going through, what he's exposing, what he's churning up, let him kill it, because he will. That's what he does. That's what builds relationship. You know, you know, honestly, what relationship is, it's part of being a bulldozer. It's destroying the walls that are up between you and the Lord. Because when we have sin in our life, what it is is, is a brick wall that we put up between us and him. And, and in many cases, we may have rows and rows and rows of these walls. And so what the Father wants in building relationship with you, he hands you this sledgehammer, and he says, make a little hole, and we'll work from there. And you start to make a little hole. Then he gives you a bigger sledgehammer. Then, then maybe he gives you you know, a bobcat, and you can just kind of start breaking down these walls. Eventually, he gives you one of those big, what is it? Those big swinging things. Wrecking ball, thank you. Wow, you're not even in construction, are you? I'm so, I'm so impressed. Right? Eventually, he gives you these things that, that break down walls that have no opportunity to even stand because of the intimacy that you have with Christ. There does come a point in your relationship where you can know His voice so clearly that the enemy has a much harder time coming against you. There are things in my own life where it doesn't mean the enemy doesn't try. And I think it's hilarious as far as fear. And, and, and there are times, I, I remember times recently when the Lord was having me do something and, and you know, all of a sudden, I'm getting this thought of fear. And I'm thinking, why in the world am I feeling Oh, I know why I'm feeling that. Get thee behind me, Satan. I command you gone in Jesus' name. Forgive me, Father, for any agreement that I have had with fear or anything else. You fight it. You break down that wall, not with your own power, but with the Father's sledgehammer, and then you move forward. And each time you do that, you draw closer to Him. And each problem that manifests in our lives, just like the Bible says, is really an opportunity. It's an opportunity to draw closer to Him. That's what He means when He says that what Satan intends for evil, I will do good for those who love me and for those who are called according to my purpose. He's saying every problem is an opportunity. It just is. So don't resist what God may be doing in that cultivation. Let Him. Press into Him. Know His, His integrity. Know His character. Be united with other believers that can sharpen your sword as you sharpen theirs. Iron sharpens iron. 
Because in that is safety. But don't be afraid. Guys, we're about to step in to that promised land. We are about to step into a calling for the bride. And when I say we, I'm not just talking about ignition. I'm talking about all over the world. We're about to step in to what He has for His bride. It is literally Revelation 3.9. But it's a process. We can't be afraid. Even in our own lives, we can't be afraid. Let Him overturn what He needs to overturn. Because it will make you the warrior that He needs you to be when we are stepping into claiming that land. And it's coming. Let's come on up. I want to encourage you just to look at this stark difference that 40 years made. Same land, same promise, same giants. But look at what happened when Joshua went in there. And when the children of Israel went in there and claimed the land and took it. What God had promised for so long had come to pass. I love that portion of scripture in Numbers. Um, I noticed in my Bible I had so many notes right next to it. And the thing that struck me so much about that particular portion of scripture is the stark difference between the ten and the two. If you read through that, you see that the Caleb and Joshua's reaction to what they saw was so clearly through the lens of faith. We can take it now. Let's go in. We can conquer it. But yet the ten spread a human reasoning report and It was interesting to hear the people's reaction. If you read in the beginning of chapter 14, they began to, it spread throughout the whole community, this fear. And they literally began to cry out, weep and wail. And the fear agreement gave them a turmoil and a misery that literally they only experienced through the lens of where they were in their belief. Nothing happened to them. They didn't actually face any of these people that were described, the giants. They didn't actually encounter any of them. They just literally believed something and then in fear began to experience turmoil. Whereas the faith, and to the point, if you read a little further on, it's so interesting. They actually turned on Joshua and Caleb and wanted to stone them. They wanted them gone. They, it's like, it, it's such, a, it's such an, uh, perplexing thing to me that fear and the resistance to truth can make you want to scratch the, the person's eyes out with the, that's carrying the truth. And that ought to show you right there how demonic fear is. And I was thinking about what a picture, it just struck me as I was sitting there listening, what a picture of the bride that that is today. You've got the, the ten, you've got the widespread condition of the bride, and then you've got the two. You've got the human reasoning certainly following the principles of the Word of God in principle. And then you've got the faith lens. And you've got this choice. Am I going to listen to the voices of faith that sadly are so few but very powerful? That's the description of the remnant. Or the widespread 
leaning on our own understanding. There are people literally paralyzed by fear of COVID who've never been touched by it in any way, shape, or form, except that now it's been injected into their body by the vaccine. Do you know how people in turmoil, just as the Lord predicted in the word that he released uh, months before we had heard, ever even heard of the disease, the Lord predicted that great turmoil was coming. And yet I see so many people's lives that have been paralyzed. Yes, many lives have been touched by it and afflicted by it. But the fear that, and, and the Lord even said, he said it's not going to even be the virus itself. It will be what's attached to it, which is the demonic entity of fear that has paralyzed people's lives. And people have been experiencing and responding and reacting and now resisting truth. And any lens of faith, there literally, there is, in some cases, there is an offense and almost a growl against a perspective of faith. How dare you say such and such? I'm going to do what I need to do to protect myself. And how dare you suggest otherwise? That's very insensitive of you. It's interesting how when, when you begin to observe, you've got to look at through the kingdom lens at what's really going on. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We love people. We war for people. But we've got to recognize and discern the spirits that are at play. And that's not what the children of Israel did. They looked right on the face of, these are the circumstances that we're going to face. And Joshua and Caleb were desperately trying to wake them up and, and show them. And the Lord honored that. They be, that remnant fraction became the leadership of the new beginning of the next season after Moses. So it's just so interesting if you look at it through the parallels of the bride and what God is doing and, and to Greg's um, word today about the cultivating. It will be rough before it ends, but all of it is good. It's like a detox moment. If you've ever seen a human body detox off of something horrific, um, it, it can be very traumatic. But yet if you understand what is actually happening, rather than looking at the experience of the detoxing effects and the process, you'll think negative. You need to back up and go, wow, it's negative, but it is for the good of the person or of the situation. And so that's why, that's how you can reconcile the negativity and the, the, um, the pulling up of the demonic that's been there all along. And God is saying, no more. I'm bringing it to the surface to expose everything from every one of the seven mountains. I mean, you're seeing it in um, even just to, to another point of news that I didn't know is these large corporations buying up large developments of homes so that it's hard to buy a home. So that there is a, a force of our country to have to go into renters. It's like it turning the American dream upside down. I mean, that was a section I hadn't even thought about, that the corruption in some of these corporations, you know, and, and big pharma, I mean, the setup, the setup for this vaccine is not what you think it is. It is for the control of your lives at the expense of what it will do to your body, but it's for the control of your lives because all they have to do is determine that you need a little filler each year. And pharma gets millions and millions of dollars. You get an updated injection because you know what? It's needed. We just discovered that it's not enough to have two injections. Now you need a third annually. I mean, it's a racket. 
And so we've got to discern the spirits at play. And I know these things are very controversial, but you know what? When you seek the Lord, he will show the truth of what's really going on. Don't look at things through the lens of, of offense or, well, how do I do this? And how I, Don't reason in your own understanding. Say, Lord, what is really going on here? I, I feel like I ask the Lord that every single day. Lord, help me to, he's not always going to reveal everything. He'll always require faith. But I'm like, Lord, help me to discern. Help me to discern through your lens so that I don't react to life. I respond to life. Greg pointed such a great point. And, the, and this is the last thing I'll say before I pray. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We carry the power with the Holy Spirit within us. We take and host the presence of God to invade the space with which we're called to. So we cannot be intimidated by what's going on. We need to recognize that we are the light in the darkness. And don't be intimidated. I love that first, that uh, Philippians 1.28, don't be intimidated by your enemies. Because every time you stand in that firm faith, it is a reminder to him of what is coming for Satan and all of his levels of power and his minions. Praise God. We need that faith, and I pray every day that that remnant grows, that it's not just the two versus the ten, but that it grows, and pray for the wake-up of the bride. But, but, us, but remember Greg's uh, charge to us. Don't just pray for everything to change. That would be like, oh, stop the detox. Stop the detox. They don't, they don't, it's too hard for me to look at. Let them just stay partly addicted. Let them stay partly infected because it's just too difficult to go through it all. That's mercy turned inside out. We want God's plan at whatever cost it is. God, if it's something bad, get it out, even if it's difficult. Because if I'm going to believe anything about you, I'm going to believe everything about you, and you are a good, good father. He does good and only good. Praise his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God. Thank you for this good word this morning, Lord, this Holy Spirit-delivered word, God, to remind us how to see what you're doing who you are and who you say we are. Oh, God, help us to trust you. This place of faith that, oh, it is a delight to you. It is what pleases you. And, God, I just pray that you would strengthen and increase our faith, Lord. That is a heavy prayer, as was stated in a prayer call the other night. It's a heavy prayer because it will bring opportunities where we have choice, And, Lord, we want to give you our yes in those choices every time. Because, God, a yes to you is a no to the enemy. But a no to you is a yes to the enemy. God, help us to not find ourselves in that place. That we resist truth. That we, in some cases, bring on our own turmoil and agony within us because of allowing authorities of fear or anxiety or deception in our lives because of initially resisting the truth of your plan. Oh God, when did we ever think that we could do anything apart from you? Jesus said so clearly, apart from me, you can do nothing. So God, help us to stay in that deeply surrendered place of dependence. Oh, because when you are the strength in our weakness, it is the greatest strength we could ever walk in. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I praise you. I worship you today. We thank you for your word. Drive it home deep into the 
surrendered, cultivated soil of our hearts so that what seed you plant today brings forth a great harvest of growth and intimacy and fellowship with you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.